Welcome to the Shared World podcast, where we take a closer look at the connections between nature and humans. I'm Amy Walker, and today we're focusing in on worms. And if you think that they're only good for fish bait, then hopefully we'll make you think again. In the 600 million years they've been around on Earth, worms are one of nature's top soil engineers. They've survived five extinction events, and they're also providing insights on the effects of long-haul spaceflight and shedding light on immune system disorders. Worms might be one of the most neglected and underappreciated of species, but they actually captured the attention of some pretty heavyweight characters in history, including Queen Cleopatra, who called them sacred, Aristotle, who described them as the intestines of the earth, and Charles Darwin, who studied their actions for more than 40 years. He was particularly fascinated by their ability to bury objects beneath the earth, including monoliths at Stonehenge. And writing in his 1881 book, Worms, published just a year before his death, he said that it may be doubted whether there are any other animals which have played so important a part in the history of the world as have these lowly organised creatures. So exactly how do they benefit the earth? It's well known that by creating burrows and eating soil and organic matter, they help to mix and aerate the soil and break it down into chemicals that plants can then use. But earthworms change the physical structure of the soil, making it more porous and interact with the microbes that produce most of the soil's carbon dioxide emissions. So they could have a key role to play in combating climate change. Not only that, but it's thought that they help to minimise the effects of pollution in surface waters by improving the soil's filtration rates and decreasing the amount of runoff water. Their castings are a very valuable fertiliser full of microbes and nutrients and there can be as many as 5 million of them in just one acre of soil. My fascination with worms started when I set up a wormery in our back garden to recycle food scraps and stocked it with composting worms called dendrobenas from the local fishing tackle shop. My little vermi community is thriving and it's surprising the amount of leftovers that they can get through in a week. It's also made me more aware of just how much organic matter it takes to create new soil. So if you're interested in setting up your own wormery, it's really easy and please do check out the Wormery podcast for more information. There are three types of worm, litter dwellers like the composting red worm or brandlings, topsoil dwellers that live in the top two to three inches of the soil and subsoil dwellers that live up to five to six feet deep in permanent vertical burrows like the common earthworm. Their demands on the ecosystem are pretty minimal, but the way we treat the land can really harm these hard-working helpers, and the main enemies are pesticides and ploughing. A Danish-French research team found that although worms have developed methods to actually detoxify themselves so that they can even live in fungicide-treated soil, they are smaller than worms living in untreated soil, and there are fewer of them because they spend more energy on detoxing and not on growing and reproducing. Meanwhile, some pesticides that contain carbaryl, carbifuran or methamyl advertise that they kill worms outright. Maybe not the most ingenious idea for cultivating healthy soil and plants. Worms don't only live deep under the ground. 
one type of roundworm, C. elegans, has been shuttled up into space to help inform NASA about the responses to long-duration spaceflight, muscular deterioration and radiation exposure. The project is an international collaboration that launched about 4,000 of the worms onto the space station in 2004. It provided valuable genetic insights about how muscles respond to weightlessness and how the body adjusts to radiation and since its first mission, C. elegans has helped out on a few more expeditions on the ISS. But going into orbit wasn't this little roundworm's scientific debut. Back in 1998, it was the first multicellular organism to have its genome mapped. Even though it's only one millimetre long, composed of only 959 cells, and lives for just two to three weeks, it has 20,000 genes, compared to 30,000 in humans. Back on Earth, worms are shedding light on inflammatory and immune disorders, and helping scientists to develop a new class of drugs from bugs. Certain types of parasitic worm have been found to influence conditions like IBS, multiple sclerosis, asthma and diabetes. Rather than the worms themselves, it's the chemicals they secrete that could hold the key to developing new anti-inflammatory treatments. Our co-evolution with pathogens has shaped the modern immune system and it's been shown that some types of worms are literally able to modify or alter our immune system response through the chemicals they secrete. It's all about self-preservation on the worm's part to stop the host identifying and attacking it. Now I'm not saying that improved sanitation is a bad thing, but it may have a downside. It's known as hygiene hypothesis and is based on the principle that becoming too clean has removed harmless species from our bodies that form a pivotal role in our health. And scientists say that it correlates with a sharp increase in inflammatory diseases. In short, by eradicating parasitic worms from our bodies over the last few decades, we may also have unwittingly taken away the immunoregulatory mechanisms that our systems rely on. One of these proteins, secreted by the hookworm Nicata americanus, is AIP2. It's been tested on mice with ulcerative colitis and asthma and is showing really encouraging results. Controlled exposure to the Nicator hookworm is also being studied in human trials in Nottingham University's multiple sclerosis project. Meanwhile, Cambridge University researchers are looking at the tropical worm, S. mansoni, and its ability to prevent the development of type 1 diabetes in mice. These studies could all have huge implications for human health if further clinical trials go well. And the best bit is that by only using the active compounds in future drugs, patients won't have to go through a painful and even life-threatening parasitic infection to experience the benefits. And finally, in the US, it's hoped that studies on the glacier-dwelling iceworm, M. solifugus, will uncover clues for combating cold intolerance and frostbite, and also for extending the storage time of transplant organs. What's exciting scientists is the iceworm's ability to produce increasing amounts of energy as the temperature drops, because in most creatures, the cold depletes energy stores and slows down metabolic processes. So watch this space for further research and results. So after just a bit of basic research into the world of worms, it's really clear that they have such an important role in our lives from the production of crops and plants to even providing insights and cures for modern diseases. 
It also highlights the complex relationships that really do exist between plants, animals and humans and it's something we're only just beginning to scratch the surface of. This has been Amy Walker for Shared World. Take care and I'll see you next time.